never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. Most of the intelligence community doesn't believe he exists. The ones that do call him the Winter Soldier. I'm Batman. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that is still cleaning up Nerf darts after our Nerf battle a month ago. My name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother, Peter. Here. Hey, man. Um, hey, what's up? <laughs> so you, you got to answer the question, dude. You see Doctor Strange? <laughs> I think you already know the answer, but uh, no, I've had a busy week and just haven't had a chance to. So I'm sorry fine. about that. But um, fine. I, <laughs> I um, oddly enough, and I didn't do this on purpose, but through just like podcasts and friends and stuff i feel like i've heard a decent amount of spoilers on this already so if you want to give a spoiler filled review of uh dr strange i am totally cool with that <laughs> and okay. i can just grit my teeth and uh, get through that um because the audience deserves that spoiler filled review i feel so <laughs> okay well i won't try and spoil it too bad for you but i went and saw dr strange and i loved it um, awesome <laughs> so um yeah. Um, do you before we get into the watching reading stuff, do you know about a couple huge cameos in the movie? Yes and you, no. I know I know you know about um I know that you're aware of the Professor X cameo because that yes. was that was but in that scene where Professor X is, do you know about the other ones? I've heard some things. Um Okay. Do you want me as to far keep specifics? <laughs> It's up to you. Like, I, I kind of know that there might be an appearance of um, one of Marvel's first superhero okay. teams. OK, um, then if you know, <laughs> if you know about that, then I can just talk. OK, so, awesome. <laughs> if you if you're aware of that, then I can just talk. So, OK, first off, let's start with you watching and reading. What do you got for me? Yeah, so I haven't um, I haven't watched much. Uh, the one sort of unique thing I watched this week that I wanted to mention is um, I finally got the chance to watch the movie Metal Lords on uh, Netflix. Oh, uh, Drew, I, wanted to watch, I wanted to watch this. Yeah. Yeah. So this is this is a pretty fun one. This is uh, as far as I know, it's David Benioff and D.B. Weiss's uh, newest Netflix uh, project. You know, the the two guys behind the Game of Thrones uh, TV series. Um, and this is a movie that's essentially about a group of high school kids that, you know, make a metal band and they uh, perform in a battle of the bands. And it's one of those things where I feel like anything that uh, anything that approaches the sort of like uh, rocker or like metalhead sort of uh, niche audience um, or really any niche audience in general has the potential to be kind of cringy. Um, but so I actually kind of went in on this movie a little bit with the grain of salt, but I felt like the movie actually delivered and I thought it was it was actually ended up being like a really enjoyable watch, which was pretty cool. Um, one of my favorite things that they captured really well is I feel like when you're in high school and you have all your sort of uh, 
niche cliques that, you know, eat at all the different lunchroom tables. You know, you have like your metalheads and your goths and your jacks and your, you know, hippies and stuff. I felt like, at least for me, when I was in high school, I felt like each one of those groups had like one or two kids who was just like hardcore, like the poster boy version of that uh, subculture. So you'd have like your one kid at the lunch table who was like the poster boy, like punk rock kid. And the rest of the people at the punk rock uh, table were kind of like vaguely, <laughs> like vaguely sort of fit into that, but not necessarily. And that's something that this movie actually captured really well, where there was the one kid who was like the super hardcore metalhead kid. And then there was his clique that was kind of just like vaguely kind of fit in with him, but still not really. And I felt like that was really realistic. Um, the movie also has some really surprisingly like sort of quiet or like pensive moments like it kind of feels like a uh, kind of a cool indie sort of romantic comedy at moments which I really wasn't expecting um, with all the good things I've said about this movie and this is gonna this is gonna go a little bit into spoilers um, the That's movie okay. I'm gonna spoil a movie for you in a little bit so <laughs> the movie itself almost beat for beat follows the same um, outline as School of Rock. <laughs> so if you watch oh. School of Rock and you take out the whole um, the whole aspect of Dewey Finn, you know, the whole aspect of Jack Black impersonating a uh, substitute teacher, if you take that plot out of the movie and just focus on the subplot, the Battle of the Band subplot, this movie is almost beat for beat exactly the same. And obviously certain parts of it play out a little bit different, but if you watch that and you have that in mind, it's like, yeah, this is almost the exact same movie as school of rock, <laughs> which kind of sucks. But at the same time, I enjoyed the movie enough. Otherwise I would definitely recommend this. Like this is a fun watch for sure. It's just something I noticed. And part of it's just, I've watched School of Rock so many times, I just probably know that movie a little bit too well, <laughs> that after I watched this movie, I was just like, yeah, that was School of Rock. <laughs> so maybe the average viewer wouldn't actually notice that comparison. Um, other than that, I haven't really watched a lot. Um, I'm kind of curious if you had a chance to watch the uh, season finale of Moon Knight yet. Um, but otherwise... Okay, awesome. So I'm sure we'll be talking about that. But otherwise, yeah, I haven't really watched uh, much else than that. How about you? Okay, so let's let's cover a couple things. I want to save Doc Strange for the end. Um, let's talk about uh, the Avatar trailer real quick. Did you watch yep. the new Avatar trailer? Okay. Yeah, I did. So, so the Avatar trailer was in front of Doctor Strange. Um, and I'm always joking around about, you know, no one's going to Avatar Con and who's excited for this movie and that kind of thing. The kid in the theater, two seats down from me, lost his mind at the Avatar trailer. Really? Um, like, completely lost his mind. Like, first off, like, he didn't know it was coming. That's awesome. So, like, yes, I do recognize the fact that there are people out there that are not that don't keep up with it to my level or to our level. <laughs> um, yeah. Like I knew Avatar two was coming. We've been talking about it for a long time. We know that there's apparently a three, four and five coming. We've been talking about that for a really long time. We knew that there was a trailer coming in front of Dr. Strange. This kid apparently was completely blindsided by the fact that he was getting into <laughs> Avatar. <movie. laughs> How old was that kid? I'm just kind of, he curious. had to have been 14. 
Okay, well, that's the thing, though, because Avatar came out when I was in, like, my mid-20s, and I I, sure. I was already an, a jaded adult who could pick the movie apart and stuff, but could you imagine being, like, you know, six years old when you first saw that movie or something, oh, and sure. then not knowing it was coming, and then this movie that you loved as a kid, you're finally seeing the sequel of... It makes sense that the kid would freak out, but it's actually kind of cool that uh, he had that reaction to it, you know? Yes, and it also made me, like, it was more of a, he, I was listening to him talk, because he went to see Doctor Strange with his mom, and I was kind of eavesdropping on their conversation a little bit, um, yeah. because it was very clear that he's in the know about what movies are coming based on the conversation they were having. Okay, nice. So I was a little surprised at his response to the Avatar trailer, because I'm like, I remember, like, there was a moment where I'm like, how did you not know this was coming out? <laughs> so, um, but hey, that's awesome. To each his own. I'm glad he likes Avatar. I'm glad he's excited for it. Yeah. Um, so the trailer was a trailer. I don't, I have very mixed feelings about it. Um, very mixed feelings about it. It looks gorgeous. Of course. Um, and I just don't really understand what the story is, but it looks amazing like physically amazing it also looks like no offense to the first movie kind of more of the same um but it was nice to yes. see still a human element presence on pandora and it looks like we might have a return of a villain um that we know about so i have a question about i have questions about that but i'm sure james cameron has figured out how the minutia that works um but like the water stuff looked really cool um if this is supposed to be a, if this really is going to be like a new 3D immersion thing, the water stuff could be amazing. But I'm kind of like, where are we going? So I don't know. What are your thoughts on it? But I just, the way the trailer like played out, I'm just like, okay, it looks cool. It looks gorgeous. I'm not, I was not finding myself excited about it the way <laughs> I find myself excited for other stuff. Yeah, I don't absolutely. know. So um, I have, um. Oh, go ahead. Gonna, yeah. OK, <laughs> I have a couple of thoughts on this. Um, one, I kind of agree with you, because for the most part, this trailer didn't show me anything that I didn't already expect to see. Like there was a lot of Navi stuff. There was a little bit of human stuff. There was um, not a lot of story. Like I have no idea what the plot of this movie is, but it just kind of shows a bunch of snippets of a bunch of different sequences from the film they all look gorgeous as you said um i think it's kind of funny because we've talked on the show before about how from what we're hearing it sounds like this movie is going to focus mostly on the navi and we might be wrong but i feel like the trailer mostly focused on the navi and it makes me kind of wonder if like james cameron only really wants to focus on like the navi and this you know, all these creatures on this world he created, but the humans were kind of our gateway into that. And, you know, by the time we get to Avatar 3, like maybe it'll be almost all Navi and Pandora stuff and there won't be much of a human element at all. I don't really know. That's just kind of what I'm I'm curious how that's going to play out. Um, the other thing the tr oh, what we're going to say. Well, I was going to say was there definitely is a passage of time, like because the way you were talking, I was like, oh, well, maybe this is the humans actually departing from Pandora. But we saw yeah. the humans depart from Pandora. And um, there's a passage of time because uh, Jake and Natiri have um, a child or two on that. I'm really confused on when you watch the trailer. It looks like there's some like 
Tarzan looking yeah. kid. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah, go ahead. No, absolutely. Like, um, I mean, obviously this trailer did focus on their, uh, their family they have together now, which is pretty uh, interesting. And I didn't even think about it as far as the passage of time goes, but I mean, maybe like this movie takes place as many years from the first movie as it has actually been in real life, if that makes sense. Like, maybe this is like a real time scene, yeah, maybe. which is kind of maybe. interesting to think about. Um, the one other thing I was going to say is the one thing the trailer showed that surprised me is there's a moment in the trailer where you have, it looks really industrial. Like it looks like you're looking at a factory or there's like these conveyor lines and stuff. And it looks like this spot that would have humans in it. But the creatures or characters you see actually don't look human and they don't look Navi. And unless they're like robots or something, I think there might be another alien species in this one, uh, like a uh, civilized alien species. And I could be wrong because I've only watched this trailer once. You know what? That's kind of something I noticed. So watched it the one time in the theater and you're making me want to rewatch the trailer. Yeah, rewatch it and try to pay attention. I don't know if you know that shot that I'm talking about where I, I know there's like a bunch of conveyors or something. Hmm. And I'm kind of curious, like I might be completely off base, but uh, no, maybe that's I'm actually, reading too much into things, but it's I'm really curious. That's something it. to talk about next week because that's something I didn't catch. So I will go rewatch the trailer as soon as I'm done with the show. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's uh, talk about Moon Knight. Um, yes. You want to talk about an action packed episode um i know they've been first off oscar isaac is a phenomenal actress he is so good um and this show really proves it i was really excited to see um layla becoming the scarlet scarab um yeah and i wasn't expecting that to happen and then once she was it became like regular comic book movie action stuff which yeah I'm, I was loving all the split personality, trying to figure out what's going on, the Egyptian god stuff, because I think Egyptology is fascinating as hell. But I really wanted – but that's, if I had to criticize the show in one way, it would be I wanted more Moon Knight in costume, kicking ass. Absolutely. Um, and this episode delivered on that on all cylinders. Um, so, yeah, that's – I mean, it's huge. I really, really enjoyed the episode. I really enjoyed where they went. I loved seeing um, – when we finally got to see Jake at the end of the episode, I'm like, oh, my God, that's amazing. Um, and I really hope Oscar Isaac's up for more because I really think a season two to explore Jake sounds great. Um, and it makes you yeah. wonder how many personalities are really up there in Mark's head. Um, what are your thoughts on this, though? Um, just the final episode. Yeah, I kind of am right along there with you where uh, I know last week I couldn't say that much. So I kind of said this is where I wanted the show to be the whole time. And what I mean by that is like, yes, the action scenes, um, also the visuals like this episode was great. There was a lot of different stuff with different gods fighting each other. I really loved the Amit versus Kanshu almost uh, Kaiju battle at the end that was going on with the pyramids. Yeah, exactly. While the uh, main uh, fight scene was going on between um, Moon Knight, uh, what do you say her superhero name is? The Scarlet oh, Scarab Scarlet or something? Scarab. Yeah. Yeah. Her, uh, Moon Knight, and uh, Dr. Haro, like both of those fight scenes happening simultaneously was pretty cool. And just the vibe overall, the vibe and the visuals, I thought 
were just really great in this last episode. Um, I think there's aspects where the show could have done better. Like I kind of wish that Dr. Haro ended up getting a cool like avatar costume for this final episode as well. But overall I'm honestly was really satisfied with how the series ended, but it's one of those things, like you just said, is there going to be a second season to, to this or is this the only season there's going to be? And I really hope there is a second season. Cause I feel like, the show just got going and I don't know, do you know if there's any confirmation or was this like a one and done this situation, is, you know, all the people involved behind the scenes want more. I think yeah. six the holdout and it okay. sounds like, it sounds like they're on the brink of locking them down for more, but the way like they're awesome. talking about it online is if we're going to do more, but Oscar Isaac staying quiet. So I don't know what that's about, but it's fine. We can let it go for now. You know what I mean? Like, that's all right, man. You you take a beat. <laughs> like, you know, I think what's going to happen <laughs> is Oscar Isaac might see that, like, you know, I think Oscar Isaac had a blast doing this show. And he, uh, I think he had a lot of fun doing the show, so much so that he would come back for more. Um, it all comes down to, it could come down to price. It could come down to scheduling. Who knows? I just hope they do more. Yeah. Um, and I do hope when Abs- they decide Abs- that, oh. and I do hope when they decide that Moon Knight gets crossed in that, um, it's it's Oscar Isaac and they don't feel they need to recast because he doesn't want to play the role like when they do when they get to like big screen, you know, so. Absolutely. Well, that's actually kind of what I was going to touch on is if he's the if he's the holdout and he's the only one who is on the fence. The problem is, is, is I feel like they couldn't recast Oscar Isaac. Like, I feel like he did play this role and um, the multiple personalities of Mark Spector so well that um i just don't think they could recast him like i i don't think they could find anybody else to pull it off in that way so yeah agreed well we were supposed to get um um eternals cameo in the show that never that got cut wow Uh, we were supposed to get kamal nanjani's character from eternals was supposed to appear in moon knight um early in the season not like near the end but like early on and we didn't get it um which I thought was really interesting, but I, th- I think it would have been cool because there's a lot of stuff right now where people are wondering, I think there's that handful of people like, why did I watch that Eternals movie? And I think they need to be reminding us right now why you watch the Eternals movie, because it's <laughs> right now it's so dis- it's so disconnected um, mm-hmm. until we get more. So, um, yeah, so Moon Knight, you know, we were supposed to get that, but whatever. Um, OK, what else did I watch? Um, I watched the show Anatomy of a Scandal on Netflix. Yeah. Um, have you watched this yet? I assume no, because you didn't. No, no, I've just, yeah, I've just heard about it. I, um, uh, I don't really even know much about the show, to be honest. It's basically, it's essentially a, so I don't know what they're called in England. Um, but the guy is like a congressman for like the British Parliament. So like whatever, okay. whatever British Parliament's equivalent to, our congressman would be. Uh, he's like yeah. a congressman or a senator or whatever for the British Parliament. Um, and he's got a sex scandal. And he tries to get ahead of it by talking to his wife. He's like, it's going to come out and be honest with you, tell you about the affair, blah, blah, blah. So it starts out as just the affair and then it turns into an allegation of rape. And then it like things start to pour out like new other allegations and, you know, backstory stuff, filling in the gaps, filling in the timelines, the court cases, all that stuff. Um, in terms of following political scandals on like the regular news, this was so well written, so well cast, 
so well acted. It's it's a phenom- it was phenomenal. Um, Sienna Miller is the uh, lead female, um, and sh- she plays his wife. Um, I liked Sienna Miller back when I saw her in uh, Layer Cake, and then she was amazing in American Sniper. Uh, she played the Baroness in the first G.I. Joe movie. Um, but she's amazing just as an actress and she has a lot of internalization. So just to watch her performance was hmm. kind of humbling to watch her, her act. She's so good. Um, that being said, um, there is, I don't want to say it's a twist because if I say a twist, you're going to be looking for a twist, but there's, <laughs> yeah. but there's a moment in the fourth episode that kind of turns the whole show on its head. And your brain's going to go, oh, my God. And I'm going to tell you this. This is one of the best written surprises in a show in a very, very long time. First off, there was no way I saw it coming. And secondly, I was completely flabbergasted with the I can't believe this is the direction they're going. But what does this mean for the rest of the show? You know what I mean? And it it was just one of those. And that's why I don't want to ruin it. I want to say, go watch the show. What I'm talking about happens in the fourth episode. So maybe you got warned that it's coming, but holy cow. Um, Really, really cool. Um, So check out Anatomy of a Scandal. I liked it a lot. Um, Okay, before I get to Doctor Strange, one more thing that I got to watch. In the previews for Doctor Strange, they said the clip came it came up they started the top gun trailer and you're like sweet i can't wait for top gun i get to see the trailer one more time awesome the trailer ran for about two seconds it's like a plane shot past the screen and you heard the like tone for the start of the anthem and it said and now a sneak peek of top of top gun maverick and instead of airing (laughs) a trailer instead of airing a trailer they aired 10 minutes of the movie (laughs) Wow. Um, <laughs> How was and it? it? And it was mind blowing. Um, the really? stuff they're doing with the airplanes, the cinematography, it's a it's basically a it's it's one of the flight train sequences from the movie. We got to see a full 10 minutes and watching and knowing that it's done for real. It's done with real planes, real cameras, no CGI cameras in the cockpits watching the pilots. It's gorgeous. And on that size of a nice. screen and on that size of a screen. You are not going to want to see it on any other size screen. Holy right <laughs> cow. Like, just incredible. Okay. Top gun aside, because you know we're both, like, our listeners know we're excited. Okay. Let's talk about Doctor Strange. First off, before I spoil the crap out of it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Strange um, is got a massive opening. Uh, $187 million opening weekend. Um which ha- which is one of the best it's uh, the 11th best opening weekend of all time. So good for Marvel. Um yeah. Yeah, good for Marvel. Okay, I'm just there's some news that like went along with it. I'm just, you know, trying to uh cuz this kind of segues into news nicely, so there's just some stories. Um So this story is dark, and I'm going to tell you this story is a Sam Raimi movie from the beginning to the end. If you like Sam Raimi and like the Sam Raimi horror stuff and the Sam Raimi comedy stuff, like you're going to love this movie. This is like Sam Raimi awesome. jumping back. This is like Sam Raimi jumping back into the superhero genre, trying to show everyone how you make a superhero movie. Like, no, 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 no. Nice. You guys are doing a good job, but this is how you make a superhero movie. 
Um, awesome. <laughs> they do. They have a thing in there early on in the movie. They talk about the multiverse, and um, there's a character, uh, America Chavez, who she's a character well known in the Marvel comics, and she's a heavy part of this story. And um, she kind of is with Doctor Strange through the majority of the story. And she, um, when they talk about the multiverse. And the he he has this moment where he's like, yeah, I have some experience because of an issue with Spider-Man recently. And she's like, I'm not talking about that instance. I'm talking about something else. She goes on to this bigger explanation. And so clearly she knew about the Spider-Man situation. And uh, but they talk about the understanding and knowing that those other realities exist. And one of the things that I thought was interesting is she said that we get to glimpse those other realities when we're dreaming because in the nice. dream in the dream state you get windows to these other worlds so when i have a dream that i'm i don't know dating jennifer lawrence that is a reality where that's a, <laughs> that's a real thing i'm you can laugh at that but i chose a a-list actress on purpose to make it sound absurd but that is a reality in the infinite number of possibilities that exists because i had a dream about it Right. So it's a glimpse of another reality. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Okay. So it was really cool to hear that, and it made me go, okay, anytime I've dreamt about something weird, like the dream where you're naked in school, that's another reality where that happened. The dream where um, the dream where you died. I don't know if anyone had a dream where they died. That's a reality where that happened, and you glimpsed to that reality. Um, it was really kind of cool, just that concept. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Because there's a part where um, a character's like, and I know that this is truth. And when Doctor Strange says, "How do you know it's the correct reality or whatever?" and she goes, "Because I didn't. Because I'm not. Because I've never dreamt about it. You know what I mean? Like, there's that aspect. And you're just like, oh, that's that's an interesting way of thinking about that. So I really liked that aspect of being able to glimpse the multiverse. Um, and then we have to start multiverse jumping. Um, but we don't start multiverse jumping without catching back up with um, Scarlet Witch. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you skipped out on WandaVision, you are going to have so many questions as to what the hell is going on. This is heavy fallout from WandaVision. Heavy fallout. She's still heavily grieving the loss of Vision, the loss of her kids who are not real. She wants her kids back, but she knows that those kids exist in other realities because she's dreamt about them and being able to see them in her in her dreams. So she knows that reality exists. So aside from Dr. Strange trying to fix a problem, she is causing more of a problem because she's trying to get to one of those realities where she can see her family again. And that becomes very heartbreaking in a sense to watch her character go through this arc. The movie almost is more of a Scarlet Witch movie than it is a Doctor Strange movie, in my opinion. It's incredible. Um, and the this is the big spoiler. Big, big spoiler. So if you don't want to hear this, turn it off. Doctor Strange has to go to a specific world, a specific universe, and he is captured by these like he's being walking down the hall and i thought they were like iron man drones i really did they are um ultron drones 
Nice. Um, and they're asking, now first up now now I say that because they look like the iron like they look like the Iron Legion drones from um, Age of Ultron, but they're Ultron's head. Yeah, yeah. And they're actually referred to as the Ultron Legion or something like that in this in the um in the dialogue. But he he goes in and he's talking to Mordor Mordo, who from Doctor Strange one, and so basically in this universe Doctor Strange died. Mordo took his place on what was referred to the Illuminati. Now, if you know your Marvel comics, the Illuminati are select characters that get together and meet and discuss the fate of things to happen. Those characters are Captain America, Iron Man, Doctor Strange, Namor, um, Black Bolt, uh, Mr. Fantastic, and Professor X. That's in the comics. Okay? (laughs) When he goes in to meet the Illuminati... Mordo is sitting in his place because that version, that universe of Doctor Strange died. So Mordo is sitting in his place on that seat. We know about Professor X because we saw him. We they revealed that because it kind of got leaked a little bit, and then everyone's like, "Oh my God, that's Patrick Stewart's voice and all that stuff." And he's in the X Men chair. So when Pet when Professor X comes out, he's in the '90s, the X the '90s cartoon X Men wheelchair. <laughs> That's that's awesome. He's in the yellow floating chair. And as he's wheeling on the screen, you hear and I don't I think it was like a piano riff of the 90s X-Men theme as he's wheeling into place. Nice. And it was I'm like, not only wait, what? Like, I got really excited just to hear the song. Um, So it's him. The other the other people in the council are Black Bolt. Now, you got to remember, first off, that's awesome that Black Bolt's on screen. Secondly, don't forget, they did an in- Inhumans television show, which kind of flopped, and they only did, like, a handful of episodes for it. So mm-hmm. so it's the actor who played Black Bolt in the Inhumans show as Black oh, Bolt wow. in this, okay? And he's, got a, and he's got the actual Black Bolt costume, because in the Inhumans show, they didn't do it. But in this, it's the actual costume. And then Captain Carter from What If... So it's Haley Atwell reprising her role as Sharon Carter, but she's Captain Carter, so she's Captain America Carter. And then uh, Captain Marvel, but it's not Brie Larson. It's Photon from Captain okay. Marvel or from uh, from WandaVision. It's Photon, which is awesome because, you know, she's Captain Marvel in this universe. And then the surprise, the big surprise was Mr. Fantastic. And it's John Krasinski from The Office who everyone had rumored that he was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> that he was going to be playing Mr. Fantastic. So it's so, him. So this is something that was spoiled for me because I did hear that Mr. Fantastic, Fantastic shows up. I didn't know that they actually cast John Krasinski. So that's pretty uh, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> well, I was like, are we going to get to see any of these people use their powers? And sure as shit you do. Because nice. Fight, there is a fight scene and you get to see them all in action. Um, I will say that the footage that everyone thought was Tom Cruise Iron Man was actually Captain Marvel. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, Tom Cruise Iron Man is not in the movie at all. Um, it was an original idea that got leaked, but they were never able to lock it down. Tom Cruise is not in the movie at all. Um, the um, I don't want to say anything more about that other than the fact that those were big, big cameos that surprised the crap out of me. Um the the Mr. Fantastic thing was great. I was worried that it was just going to be like a background thing. He had a ton of dialogue. 
And it makes me excited for what could possibly be coming with the Fantastic Four movie because the costume looked great and all like it, it just looked great. Um, awesome. The overall story of the movie was phenomenal. Um, seeing the, the the Scarlet Witch Wanda stuff literally was some of my favorite parts. And every time we were doing other stuff with Doctor Strange, I'm like, you got to go back to Wanda. I got to know what's going on with Wanda because um, they were separated for a while and like they were together at one at parts and then they were separated and they were together at parts and like they were kind of all over the place but so so cool and the fate of some characters at the end of this movie are kind of still up in the air like i don't know the certain fates of certain things um there's two bonus scenes i'm only going to spoil one bonus scene because i don't fully get it um, okay. one, of the bonus, one, of the, one of the bonus scenes was an introduction of a new character, uh, the character Clea, or Clea, if I'm pronouncing that. It's C-L-E-A is how you spell it. Um, okay. In the comic books, she is the niece of Dormammu, um, who is the main villain in Doctor Strange 1. So in the comics, she's the niece of Dormammu, but she ends up having a love affair with Doctor Strange, and they end up getting married and all this stuff. I don't have a problem with that. What I have a what I'm weirded out about that I don't fully know how I feel about is that they cast Charlize Theron as Clea or Clea, however you're saying. Yeah. I don't it took me out of it because I feel like Charlize Theron doesn't fit the MCU. Like it felt like too left field. Um Okay. I don't know if that makes sense. It's like it, it took me out of it because like I I mean, I don't think she's the best actress, but I don't have a problem with her being in the movie. But, like, I just, I feel like, I it took me out of it because I'm like, I felt like they could have just casted it better. I don't know. And I don't really know. Right. Her, I don't know her character that well, but I was just like, Charlize Theron, really? Okay. Like, did I was kind of like recently about, didn't we talk recently about her producing a superhero show? Yeah, she's going to be producing um, the Aqualad show for oh sure. so so that's dc okay so i i thought this was coming full circle but no it's still just it's as not at all. <laughs> so. it's not at all i just i i like look i she's fine she's a fine actress but i just don't feel like she fits the mcu like it almost it almost felt to me in a weird way like wait i want to get in the marvel game <laughs> you know what yeah I mean? like she's like why not me and they're like hey charlie so we finally have a thing for you you know what I mean? Like, I really, it just felt out of place because she's such a big name. And maybe that's why it felt out of place. Uh, because a lot of these Marvel actors were, they were decently big, big names, but they only got bigger because of the movies. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, I feel like cast the, a lot of times for these newer characters, you're casting not as well-known people that are getting big because of the Marvel movies. I don't know. That's just... It just seemed odd to me that that was the casting. But yeah, overall, that's an interesting way to look at it, I guess. But overall, I loved the movie. It was great. I can't wait to see it again. It is not your two. It's not your like four hour like epic. It's a good like two. It's a little over two hours. It's great. Two bonus scenes. Make sure you watch them. I don't want to say much more about the movie other than that. Like the concepts of the multiverse and everything. It was really really fun. There's some great fallout. Um, that I'd like to. That I can't wait to see how it. We expound on it like Dr. Strange yeah. had some new stuff going on with him by the end of the movie that it's like, ooh, how's that going to play out? You know, 
Um, mm-hmm. What I'm what uh, this is in a good segue to news. Um, the uh, Cumberbatch um, has said that he wants ten more years with the character. Um, cool. Saying that um, he's played Doctor Strange across different Marvel movies and animated series, and if he gets his way, he'll continue to don the red cloak, a levitation for another decade. If they keep him evolving, I think there's a lot of places for him to explore. So yeah, bring it on. That was his quote. Um, so yeah, let's let's bring it on. Um, nice. And then Elizabeth Olsen had a couple things to say. Um, she, you know how there's been a lot of critics criticizing the Marvel films. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like there's been like some critics and like filmmakers out there that are kind of negative. Um, right. She, right. Had this, she had this to say. There are some of the most amazing set designers, costume designers, camera operators. I feel diminishing them with that kind of criticism. It takes away from yeah. all the people who do award-winning films that also work on these projects. And she's absolutely right. And, I, and you know, when Martin Scorsese made his comments and uh, Ridley Scott made his comments, I really don't know if I thought about it that way. It was kind of like, well, you guys are just mad that they went and saw the Marvel movie and not your movie. And yeah. some of those criticisms, you're like, well, absolutely. No, these people are working hard to make cool shit. And right now, those that cool shit's keeping everyone float in the industry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. So, I'm totally with Elizabeth um, on this. Yeah, absolutely. It actually reminds me of uh, our very first episode of this podcast. I actually mentioned something like that because I remember uh, – the original Suicide Squad getting so much like the the original Suicide Squad movie getting so much uh, hate and uh, criticism and stuff and people calling it a dumpster fire and stuff like that. And yeah. I always feel like, yeah, like give it some construction, constructive criticism. Maybe you don't like the writing or the pacing or you think something's wrong. But to say to write the whole movie off as a dumpster fire when you really think of all the makeup artists and costume designers and set designers. And like you said, all these people who put so much uh, work into the movie and, you know, put some really cool craftsmanship in, it's kind of ignorant, honestly, to write off the whole film. And that's, I think writing off the entire superhero genre altogether is pretty um, ignorant as well um, for lack of a better term, but yeah. So I'm, I definitely agree with Elizabeth Olsen as well in that regard. <laughs> right. Now, one of the things um, – shoot, what what was I just going to say? The comments about Suicide Squad just kind of caught me off guard. And I was going um, <laughs> to edit. My bad. Oh, okay. It was the – oh, no, because, like, I actually had a conversation with someone who claimed – who, like, I was talking to someone about Suicide Squad. It wasn't a love-hate conversation. We were just discussing the movie because I'm yeah. – because I read way more comics than this individual. So he was like, overall, I liked the movie, but I got questions. So we were just kind of going back and forth. And someone heard us talking like, dude, you talking Suicide Squad? And I was like, yeah, why? And he's like, movie sucked. And I was like, okay, that's fair. What didn't you like about it? And he's like, the script was horrible. Yeah. So I said, are you a screenwriter? And he goes, no. And I go, <laughs> do you ha- are you a writer in general? And he goes, no. And I go, so what do you know about the script being good or bad? And he literally just kind of stopped talking and walked away. It was right. <laughs> it was weird. I'm like, okay, man. <laughs> but, it, you know, sometimes I feel like people kind of, when they say they don't like a movie, I always feel like they go a little half cocked on it. Like their opinion's not really theirs. And I don't know where that comes from, but that's all right. Okay. Um, let's round this out. Um, 
Marvel. More Marvel coming for the rest of the year. Check this out. This is the remaining. Okay, we are, it is middle of May. It's May 12th to be exact on this episode. We are, this is what we have coming left for Marvel uh, for the year. We have Miss Marvel in June. Thor, Love and Thunder in July. She-Hulk doesn't have a date yet, but it's supposed to be this year. What yeah. If Season 2, Secret Invasion, Black Panther 2 in November, Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special. <laughs> that's, that is all coming before the end of the year. Um, that's nuts. So That is crazy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely nuts. Okay. Um, and other comic news. Um, sadly speaking, George Perez has passed away. Um, George yeah. Perez is responsible for a ton of stuff. I got to sit on his, la I got to sit in on his last Comic-Con panel. I talked about it, um, on one of our C2E2 episodes. Mm. Um, I couldn't record in that episode, which was fine. Just to get to hear him talk about comics for like an hour was fantastic with him and Marv Wolfman. Oh um, yeah. I remember. Cause yeah. Cause they talked a lot about the, uh, new teen Titans in there. They talked a lot about teen Titans. Awesome. Yeah. About teen Titans. They talked about crisis on infinite earths. They were, they were responsible for all the DC Marvel crossovers. They, he created, he'll create Nightwing. Like George Perez was a legend that goes all the way back to the Stan Lee days and the amazing stuff that got put together. Um, he stopped doing comics because he was going blind and he couldn't draw anymore, which is really sad, but, uh, he recently passed away and we lost another one that this one's, this one's a big one. Um, so rest in peace, George. Um, I, I really loved his, I really loved your work is all I wanted to say to that. So I don't know if you yeah. have that. So no, absolutely. He, he was just a legend. Like he, his artwork is so amazing. And he's one of those people, like if you've ever seen one of those posters that have like, it'll be like Marvel characters or DC comics characters. And it'll be just like hundreds of characters drawn across the, uh, the sheet of uh, paper all in one group. I feel like all those posters take a page out of uh, George Perez's book because he was always about the more characters I can draw on a page or on a cover, the better. And he has so many, like if you just Google George Perez art, you're going to find so many cool images of, you know, DC and Marvel bo both where they have so many different uh, characters on one sheet of paper and it's just awe inspiring to look at. But um, honestly, like I've read like various different uh, works that he's done, but I think the the one that I've read some of that I've appreciated the most is actually that new Teen Titans run with him and Marv Wolfman. Um, I, I know reading some of those old issues, not only is he like, did he draw amazing characters, but the backgrounds he would do were just awesome as well. Like I remember this one issue where the Teen Titans were, I believe in Azeroth and they were doing something involved with uh, Trigon and uh, Raven and all that. And I just remember the backgrounds looking so amazing, you know, of George Perez drawing such an imaginative, uh, hellish landscape. And he was just, he was an, he was a legend, um, not just for his art, but also for his personality and love of, uh, the comics industry. And he's, he's definitely one of the greats and he will be missed, but his artwork will live on and it, his artwork definitely speaks for itself. So, uh, yeah, rest in peace, uh, George Perez. Yeah. All right couple quick things and we will move on. Um, Cobra Kai season five is arriving earlier than expected. Normally Cobra Kai drops on New Year's Day. 
Cobra Kai will be dropping September 9th this year. Um, there's a trailer out for it. Looks amazing. You have not watched any Cobra Kai yet, have you? Yeah, I still haven't watched it. <laughs> you need to sit down and watch some Cobra Kai. That should be your binge show while you wait for Stranger Things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. <laughs> I really, I really want to discuss this show with you, and I know that I'm okay. blowing up, but like, I really like, I really think that you're gonna. Did you watch the Karate Kid movies? Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay, um, I think just because I, just because you've seen them, it's like. I was on the fence about Cobra Kai, to be completely honest, for a really long time. And I finally sat down and watched it and I couldn't stop nice. watching it. I really, really think that you're just going to fall in love with the show from the get go. It's so great. OK, oh. fair enough. I, I am not really watching anything right now. So yeah, maybe oh, I'll go. have to check it out. <laughs> there you go. Um, OK, did I tell you that there's a new Scream movie coming? No, but that sounds amazing. I have. I have not watched Scream 5 yet, but uh, Scream 6 will be coming. Several of the newer actors from mm-hmm. Scream 5 will be returning. Awesome. And and Hayden Panettiere from Scream 4 is returning. Um, so I thought that was really cool. Um, so, yeah, just a quick, uh, hey, Scream 6 is coming and Hayden's coming back. So that's awesome. Hell yeah, keep them coming. Uh, <laughs> did you ever watch the movie A Simple Favor with Anna Kendrick and uh, Blake Lively? Yes, yes, I have seen this one. Okay. It's been remember, a bit, but... It's been a bit. I talked about it a little. I, I kind of gave it some a pretty decent review because I really, really enjoyed the movie. Um, there is a Simple Favor sequel that will be coming, um, and both actresses are returning. Um, there's nothing, okay. there's nothing on the story yet, but I really enjoyed the first one. So I'm kind of excited to see what this one is, especially since nice. old actresses are coming back. Um, Sweet. okay. And the final news story, there is a lot of stuff going on with Disney down in Florida because of all the bills being passed. You, have you been hearing about this? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, what's going on with them trying, because <laughs> Disney has kind of ultimately created its own little government in the Orlando area that functions on mm-hmm. a, or their own functioning government. And there's some people yeah. and the taxes where they don't pay certain things and all that stuff because they're funding all this other stuff because they're taking care of their own police and fire. And like, they have their own police station. They have their own fire station. They have their own, like all this stuff. So because of all the weird stuff going on in Florida right now, there, uh, there's a lot of people trying to, uh, screw Disney out. Um, there is a story that popped up. I don't know a lot about it. It's just kind of mind boggling. The, the headline read Disney could lose copyright, re- copyright for the original Mickey Mouse. Ooh, okay. Yes, I did okay. hear about this. Uh, gender Josh Holly has proposed a bill that could see Disney lose the copyright for the original Mickey Mouse, um, as it would reduce the copyright protections from 95 years to 56 years. He specifically mm-hmm. noted it's time to take away Disney's special privileges. Um, here's the problem. There is so much protect the creator stuff going on right now that I really don't think Disney's going to lose this one, but it's not just Disney. If this is, if this bill gets passed, Disney could lose Mickey Mouse, but that means Lucasfilm loses Star Wars. It means 
Hasbro loses Transformers. It means Marvel loses Spider-Man. It means Disney loses, sorry, mm-hmm. DC loses Batman. This is global. This is not just Disney. So you need to be very, very careful with what's going on here. If you know, you're mad at the mouse, be mad at the mouse. But there's so much protect the creator stuff going on right now and making sure certain creators get proper credit for certain things. This does not seem like something that's going to go any farther. Um, so I don't know. I'm going to be reading into this because I'm really curious. I want to follow this one kind of heavily and realize that and these people just need to just knock it off, basically. <laughs> um, but I didn't know if you had any thoughts on that before. Like, that's all I got right now because I don't know much more than that. So it's it's a really interesting debate, because if you look into the history of copyright law, you actually learn that Disney actually had a hand in like lobbying congressmen and stuff so that they could keep the uh mickey mouse copyright like they typically as i understand it and this is kind of with my rudimentary reading up on this subject like traditionally it was like when you create something the creator has the rights to that character but when they pass away it becomes it goes into the public domain you know and then it's like anybody and that's why like characters like peter pan or robin hood or uh frankenstein like there's a lot of characters that are considered public domain where anybody can use that character and create a story around them and mm-hmm. uh disney from what i understand they actually had a hand in changing that where after the creator dies, the rights for that character either goes to uh, the family or the publisher that um, that creator worked with, with, if that makes sense. And uh, it's there's different arguments from either side, because on one hand, like you do want that creator's family to have the wealth that they're deserved. But then some people would argue that that uh, culturally it's actually more beneficial for these characters to go on the public domain. Personally, I don't really know where I sit on the argument, but I know that that it's a really nuanced thing. And it's like, I'm kind of with you, Drew, where I don't know a ton about it, but I need to research more about it. And the fact that this is something that's coming into question now is actually a huge, it's definitely a huge thing to pay attention to. Like this could have major impacts on uh, the entertainment industry in general. Um, I think you were going to say something a little bit earlier. No, I was just kind of listening. So like a little bit ago. Yeah. No. Oh, okay. I th- no, no. I I thought I thought you were about to say something. I mean, that's kind of where I'm at. Is like I know it's a nuanced debate, and I've heard arguments from both sides of the the aisle on this one. But I don't personally. I'm not really sure where I sit. You know. Yeah, and I uh, I just don't know enough about it, so I'm going to be kind of following it as close as I can, and hopefully have more information as we go. But it caught my attention. I was like, I, holy hell. So I will say if the copyright law just change and uh, if all these characters go into the public domain, I would probably start working on my own Superman comic the very next day. <laughs> like I would start, you know, I'd start using these characters right away for my own projects. But at the same time, I do like and there it is characters and stuff <laughs> like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there it is. Um, but yeah, it's the long running ones that are, that are really like hurting, um, because you know, mm. Batman's, you know, and if it's if once Disney, it's going to hit everybody. Um, you know, Batman's got 80 years on him. Superman's got 80 years on him. Wonder Woman's got 80 yeah. years on her. You know what I mean? It's Spider-Man's right there with him. Like it's, you know, so 
Let's see what happens. All right, it's uh, this is. I I think there's going to be a lot of updates on it. We're going to be talking about this every other week. I feel for a while. So we're going to be talking. Um, but yeah, what were you saying? <laughs> um, what I'm saying, it is list time. So you want to talk awesome. about our list thing? Okay. Well, certainly. Let's, <laughs> let's move on down to that road and let's roll the thing. For the top five. Okay. All right, Peter. Um, yes. This was my pick. Um, so I, I looked, I was scouring our list. Sometimes I do that. Like, have we done that yet? Have we done that yet? Um, and I noticed that we did DC story arcs, but we never, yes. ever yeah. talked about Marvel. Marvel story arcs and um I thought that was weird that we never talked about it and especially with as big as the Marvel MCU is there are tons of stories that I think we ultimately want to see now when I pitched this list to you it didn't dawn on me until like two days after I pitched the list that you could totally just straight choose one of the movie stories if you want because the movies <laughs> they're adapting they're adapting page to screen but some of these movies are going in their own direction and it's becoming its own story as it is. I have no yeah. problem with that. If that was your, if you, if you chose a movie story arc, I'm just saying my list is all comics. So, um, it just, it dawned on me. I was like, Oh, he could have just, it doesn't matter. But if he wants, <laughs> if he wants to say the 97 X-Men television show, he can do that too. Even though it's predicated off a series of comics, you know what I mean? Like there could be something specific about it. Um, but I stayed specifically with comics. So, Right on. So I actually remember when we did the uh, the DC uh, story arc list, I actually did choose some movie story arcs and some animated series and stuff. And I remember um, you kind of mainly focused on comics for that one. And uh, so this time I actually did all of my picks actually are comic books as well. Um, I did if I was going to pick an animated series, I might pick like um, maybe the uh the 90s Spider-Man animated series, especially the ones that focus on the sort of uh, black suit Spider-Man, like Venom sort of story. Like, I love those episodes so much, but uh, some of my picks on my list kind of allude to the same subject matter anyways. So, um, yeah, but yeah, I have uh, it's all comic books this time. So cool stuff. Um, and I have uh, two honorable mentions, and uh, yeah, I don't know if uh, if you want to jump in or if you yeah, no, wanted uh, to touch ahead. on well, anything else. It was not at all. It's my list, so what's your first honorable mention? <laughs> Absolutely. So my first one, I've talked about it quite a bit in the, in the past. I feel like, depending on who you talk to, this might be more of a uh, guilty pleasure selection, but I actually went with the... Uh, Marvel Mangaverse. Um, this is definitely not canon, um, but I just thought this was a really fun uh, sort of collection of stories to, to read through. It's basically Marvel turning all their characters into uh, manga characters, and uh, you can go from there. Um, I also like this a lot because uh, Ben Dunn is the main um, artist and like story architect behind this, and he's known for doing the uh, Ninja High School comics, which he's kind of like a indie comic legend in that regard, you could say. But uh, yeah, this is one I just had a lot of fun with. It's not like I don't necessarily think it's the deepest story or the 
the best story out there, but I think it's a fun read if you uh, have the time to read through it. So, yeah, this I'm with you. This is a very, very cool collection of stories. Um, it's basically like if you were to take any of these, all the Marvel Universe and turn it into anime. Um, Spider-Man was probably one of the coolest parts about it. What was um? Yeah, I think the Spider-Man one was my favorite, not because the Spider-Man, but just how they touched on all the different parts of Spider-Man. Um, I'd have to go back. I haven't read that in a really long time, but I really, really enjoyed uh, the Mangaverse. Um, okay, so my first one is Days of Futures Past. Okay. Um, that's my first honorable mention. Um, I had a really hard time putting my list together because I'm like, oh, there's so many good ones. Um, <laughs> uh, we talked about this last week. Was it last week? Um, because you brought up the movie. Um, this is a really, really cool X-Men story. It's very different than what the movie gave us um, because this includes Doctor Strange. It includes, uh, it's not Wolverine that does the time traveling. It's actually Kitty Pride that does the time traveling. Um, yeah. Seeing the different universes, it dealt, it deals a little bit more heavily with um, uh, the death of the X-Men and uh, the Sentinel War and all that stuff. So there's just some really cool parts of it, but it was such a cool adventure. And then when they handled it on the X-Men cartoon, the 90s X-Men cartoon, also really, really cool how they covered it. Um, they, tr- they had to do some adaptation page to screen, obviously, but, um, so they didn't cover the whole thing exact, but they did a really nice, faithful job, but ultimately, like, nice. and I really, I just really enjoyed this one. So, awesome. yeah. Um, all right, man, what's your next honorable mention? Yeah. So my next one, I went with, uh, this one's a little bit more broad, but I went with, uh, Joe Kelly and Ed McGuinness's Deadpool run. Um, and this was in the late nineties. And, uh, the reason I like this, well, there's two reasons. One of the reasons is, uh, Joe Kelly's writing because a lot of what people know and love about Deadpool nowadays, from my understanding, Joe Kelly kind of, uh, established or at least embraced in this run. Like I think a lot of, like, I think there's a little bit of like, Deadpool quipping before and stuff, but I think this was the kind of run that took it onto the sort of like, no, we're going to make this a full on comedy and Deadpool is just going to be super sarcastic and quipping all the time. And we're really going to embrace the uh, fourth wall breaks and stuff like that. And part of the reason for that might be because Ed McGinnis was the artist on this run and he has a super cartoony style. If you're familiar with his work and, uh, I think they were just like, this guy's super cartoony. Let's take this in more of a comedic route. And I think it just worked so well for the character. Um, that being said, Ed McGinnis is just one of my favorite artists. So, uh, yeah, this is just a really fun, good run. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I don't know that story arc that well, and it kind of makes me want to look it up. Um, but you said Ed McGinnis and who? Uh, Joe Kelly. Okay. Um Sorry, I'm just kind of writing this down because um, I want to because that's one that I'd want to check up. Um, nice. And at least throw into my Marvel app queue. Um, all right. So my next one is the Ultimate Spider-Man. Um, did you watch you this? Ultimate Spider-Man? Yeah. OK. You, did you watch uh, this? this one? Yeah, actually, <laughs> we actually matched on this one. <laughs> So, oh really so go this, on yeah this, like technically your first pick then yeah okay because this is my last all, all, all 
honorable mention. So. Oh, bad. My bad. You uh, okay? Okay, this is an honorable mention. We'll we'll go on, go on, and then I'll talk about it, and we can go from there, I guess. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Um. All right. So Ultimate Spider-Man. This um, I haven't finished the story yet. I'm like I don't know, maybe ten issues to the end of the entire run because it's a hundred and whatever episode issues. But even though I don't haven't gotten to the end yet, this truly feels like one of the best representations of spider-man as a character the story his yeah. villains his relationship with mary jane his relationship with his aunt it literally feels like one of the best representations and they do some stuff a little bit differently than the original stories but it's no different than marvel movies doing something a little differently than the comic books um but i literally like and it's funny because i i want him in the costume being spider-man but some of my favorite <laughs> moments are just him being peter parker and dealing with the love life stuff and it's yeah. really really interesting especially when like him and mary jane break up and he starts dating kitty pride from the x-men um and then it becomes this crazy like love triangle thing because mary jane's all jealous about it then you know what i mean it's it's interesting but it was like i am totally down for whatever they're doing in this book um but yeah, I just I really liked Ultimate Spider-Man. Um, but I don't want to go too much because this is an actual pick for you. So go ahead, man. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know if I have too much uh, else to say. I know from this Ultimate Spider-Man came up in discussion a couple weeks ago, and from the sounds of it, Drew, you've read so much more of this comic than I have. Like I've read the first handful of volumes, but it sounds like you've read nearly the entire run. Um, but I just real, real close. Yeah, but I just uh, I just really like this uh, story. Like Spider-Man's one of my favorite um, characters in Marvel. Um, I guess one of my favorite comic characters in general. But I love um, like if you go back to the first story, I love how this is a uh, I don't know. I, I just think about like the first story arc when it comes to uh, Green Goblin and how when you first see the Green Goblin, he doesn't look like your traditional green goblin. He's actually huge and he looks more cartoony and he kind of like, I think it was kind of when this, when this comic came out, it was a little bit of a brush breath of fresh air because the artwork was a little bit more exaggerated. Um, and I also really like how um, accessible this story is. Like I like that if somebody's never read a comic book, you can hand them, you know, volume one of ultimate Spider-Man and they can read through and uh, they don't really have to worry about what came before that or, you know, what's happening at the same time. It's kind of like really accessible to the new reader, which I really love. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I have too much else to say. I just think this is a really solid pick. Um, I know uh, it was Brian Michael Bendis and Mark was writing the, you know, this comic at first, and then it was Mark Bagley doing the art. And I just love Mark Bagley's artwork on the series as well. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you have anything else to touch on with this one, Drew. Not much more on it. This is just one that I would highly recommend if people are like, what's a good place to start in comic books? It's not because... There's so many like different iterations of Spider-Man when you like when you think of the Spider-Man titles out there, there's Amazing Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Web of Spider-Man, Peter Parker, yeah, Spider exactly. <laughs> Ultimate Spider-Man. Um, yeah, there's so much that, you know, it's no different than you have Avengers, New Avengers, Avengers West Coast, Young Avengers. Um, you know what I mean? Like, there's yeah, so exactly. Much. So when you think to yourself, what's a good and your point about it being accessible is huge. Um, but Ultimate Spider-Man 
Remember, I always say that Batman the Animated Series is the most, um, it's the best representation of Batman. This is, the, in my opinion, the best representation of Spider-Man. Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely up there. And, uh, oh, just one other thing I wanted to mention besides the accessibility. I started reading this book because I found it at, um, I used to go to Half Price Books all the mm-hmm. time, which... If anybody doesn't know, that's like a really good secondhand uh, bookseller. But if you go to like a half price books or a uh, books a million or, you know, like that kind of store, you're going to find a lot of these old Ultimate Spider-Man volumes, which are pretty awesome because you can buy a bunch of them for a pretty cheap price and read through them. And yeah, it's great. (laughs) Yeah. Um, All right. Moving on. Um, My next pick of the night is Secret Wars, the original. The reason I say that is because Marvel did a second Secret Wars. They actually did Secret Wars 2, and then they did another one called just Secret Wars, which dealt a lot with multiversal nonsense. Um, Yeah, and that was more recent, right? Yeah. The original Secret Wars from the 80s with the Beyonder creating the battle world and grabbing all the heroes and villains and teleporting them onto this planet and saying, fight. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Um. And giving him an entire planet to battle on to see who the true uh, the true heroes or whatever are. Um, what was great about it was you're talking like here's all these X Avengers characters, here's all these X Men characters, here's the Fantastic Four, here's Spider Man, but then then here's Doctor Doom and the Wrecking Crew and Galactus and Magneto and the Brotherhood of Mutants and all that stuff, and they're all just battling it out on this planet. But they also took and did this whole, like, sub-stories with characters having relationships with each other and dealing with the fact that they're stuck on this planet until the war ends and all that stuff. Um, it's also the um, it's also the uh, original origin of the symbiote suit, which would later become Venom. Mm-hmm. Um, but the big thing about Secret Wars is this goes all the way back to my childhood, because when I first started getting into comics, these were the Marvel comics that were coming out. Like, this was the big Marvel event. This is how I learned about Spider-Man and Doctor um, Doctor Doom and Captain America and the Hulk and the Fantastic Four. This was how I learned who those people were. Um, so Secret Wars, like, that's a that's a childhood. This goes That goes all the way back to, like, childhood for me, um, being this was one of my first introductions into the Marvel Universe. So, yeah, the, yeah. Original, the original Secret Wars, that is. So Absolutely. And to, from my understanding... Um... Secret Wars, from what I've heard, is that this comic series is something that started as a, um, like, they created the series to advertise action figures. Like, they had a Secret Wars line of action figures where they basically wanted a line of action figures where they could include every single Marvel character. So you could have members of the X-Men and Spider-Man and the Hulk, and it wouldn't have to be a separate toy line and uh so they made this comic book that had all those characters in them in it but basically everybody just kind of ended up embracing the comic series more than the action figures because they're like well these toys are cool but this these comics are awesome like they've got all my favorite characters in them so uh yeah great pick yeah uh well you got for me what's your next one Okay, so speaking of random um, Spider-Man spinoff series, uh, my next pick is actually, I feel like it's pretty niche, but I went with, uh, it's called uh, The Sensational Spider-Man, and it's the uh, Feral Arc, which is a (laughs) mini-series that was... (laughs) 
<laughs> written by have you read this or are you familiar with it? I'm laughing, at something, I'm laughing at something else. Go ahead. Okay, fair enough. Uh, it's a it's a series that's written by Roberto Aguirre Sacasa. Uh, my apologies if I've re- uh, pronounced that wrong. And uh, it's drawn by Angel Medina. And this is one of those. Ah, this is like a trade pa- paperback that uh, I ended up picking up at a uh, Comic Con, uh, kind of in like a bargain bin. And it's one of those things. It caught my eye because Angel Medina is one of my favorite artists. Um, like I really loved his run on Spawn and uh, pretty much everything he does is awesome because he's got a really cool way of uh, twisting a character's anatomies and turning everything into kind of like this really demented looking caricature that's really fun to read through. And I think because of that, he's a perfect artist for uh, Spider-Man and especially the more gruesome aspects of Spider-Man. But this is essentially a story where it's Spider-Man versus the lizard, but it's also versus uh, some more niche sort of animalistic Spider-Man villains like uh, Stegron or Stegron, who's kind of like the Stegosaurus sort of uh yeah like kind of like a stegosaurus lizard sort of foe and then also vermin who's kind of a giant rat um but this story what's kind of interesting is it plays out almost exactly the same as the first amazing spider-man movie like the whole plot about the lizard releasing this gas that's going to change everybody in new york to uh lizard people that's kind of the same plot as this comic. And I think this comic kind of influenced the movie, but it's not something that's like widely known. At least that's what I, that's my theory because it's so similar, but it's also a lot crazier because like I mentioned, you have characters like Stegron and Vermin and all these obscure, like really cool characters mixed in. Um, so this, this was kind of like, I love that sort of uh the story arc of it is cool. The uh, the artwork of it is great. So, yeah, this one just had to make my list. But I know this one's kind of probably more obscure than a lot of other things I could have gone with. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I don't. What I was laughing at was, so first off, I know this because, like, as soon as you said Angel Medina, I was like, ah, there it is. Yeah. Um, but I also, what I don't, what I don't know is the, uh, I was laughing at the fact that you said it's, you know, the sensational spot. Spider-Man, because we were just talking about, exactly. <laughs> we were just talking about amazing and amazing Peter Parker and Web of and Shadow of and Sensational Spider-Man and Spectacular yeah. Spider-Man and you know what and I mean. Superior Spider-Man, yeah. There's just oh so yeah, many. Superior Spider-Man. Where there's so much, mm-hmm. uh, which is just hilarious. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I get it. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, yeah, that was about it. I just yeah. Um, Okay. Um, so my next pick is the New Avengers. Okay. Um, did you read New Avengers? No, I haven't read a lot of Avengers proper like comics actually, but this is one that I think I think I've had friends telling me like, oh, you got to read New Avengers and stuff, but no, personally, I haven't. <laughs> so so, so Avengers, go on. New Avengers. I read the whole thing. Yeah, uh, I read the entire run of it. It's like fifty some issues. Um, it. So there was a the Avengers disbanded at one point um, and they weren't a thing. They just weren't a team. And there was a prison break on uh, Rikers. Yeah, prison break on Rikers and all these villains started getting out. 
And Spider-Man is like he wakes up. Him and Mary Jane are married at the time. And he wakes up and because he heard like I don't know if his spider senses. I don't remember if his spider senses went off or if he got that phone call like, you know, or, you know, he heard it on the news or whatever. But he wakes up and he's just like, oh, my God, I got to go. And he heads off to Rikers. And when he gets there, there's Captain America trying to shut everything down. So Spider-Man starts helping Captain America. But Wolverine shows up. And Wolverine's like, I'm in this. I'm, I'm with you guys. And then, like, they all start. And this group. And, like, Spider-Woman shows up. And then, you know, the group of people, like, these heroes all come together. And they take down um, they take down the villains that they could. And some of the villains mm-hmm. get away. And at the end of it, um, so it's like. Cap, Spider-Man, Wolverine, Luke Cage, Spider-Woman, uh, Iron Man, um, Thor. Yeah, like, it's like those, that group. And the issue is, is that we're going to, and Cap's like, we need to put the team back together. And they're like, well, who's, yeah. who's our team? Who's our roster? What are we doing? And he's like, well, whoever was at Rikers should be on the team. Because the whole point of the Avengers was to come together and do something good. And we all yeah. came together naturally and did and worked well together. So they that's how they build the team. And uh, all Sentry is on it, too. Um, but it builds from there. And it was such a fun, wonderful story to read um, into the minutia of all of it. I had so much fun reading. It was one of the it's one of the better Avengers stories, in my opinion. Um, so, yeah, new Avengers, if you get a chance, it's just. It kind of it was like a, a reimagining of the team, in my opinion, um, is the best way of wording it. And I just loved how it played out. So nice. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Anyway, um, your pick. Yeah. Uh, so my next one, um, I don't want to sound like too much of an Angel Medina fanboy, but I did go with another one of his story arcs. And that is the uh, series Venom Dark Origin. Um, so this is a pretty short. Um, I don't know this one, so. Okay, this is a pretty short uh, miniseries that's drawn by Angel Medina. It's written by uh, Zeb Wells, and uh, this is basically a a miniseries that focuses on the backstory of uh, Eddie Brock. But, you know, Eddie Brock, he was always played out as like, you know, he's this uh, he's this reporter and he he has a dark side. But he uh, what's that? I didn't say anything. Okay, sorry. I was letting you talk. Uh, and he, he has his dark side, but this series that actually goes into his childhood and kind of points out that like he actually has like these like underlying like psychopathic elements to him. And uh, it's one of those things where I feel like American comic books, they always have to one up each other. Like you always have to take like, oh, so you thought <laughs> so you thought Eddie Brock was a bad guy. But did you know that he was this bad? You know, and I feel like oh. I feel like this series does play into that trope but it's also just a really fun rewarding read if you want one of those sort of dark villainous backstories you know and it kind of it just kind of has a dark ominous tone and again it just has angel medina's awesome artwork and his the way he draws venom is just so cool because if you think about what a symbiote is you would think there's there'd be all these moments where the the creature would be undulating and taking on these weird twisted forms. And Angel Medina does such justice to that uh, concept. Like I used to have a Venom shirt that I think I bought at Walmart that had 
one of the main cover images that Angel Medina drew for this series. And it just was so badass looking. But uh, yeah, this one, I don't have too much to say. It's just kind of a cool backstory into Eddie Brock. That's just kind of one of those. I didn't know I wanted this, but now that I've read it, it, this was pretty cool sort of thing. So I didn't know, but now I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, The, uh, yeah, no, I don't actually know that book at all, but that's awesome. Um, yeah, there's, uh, some, some of the Venom stuff, um, I've read some of the solo Venom stuff, um, but it was more of the older stuff like Lethal Protector and whatnot. And then yeah, yeah. one, what was it? It was like early two thousands. They did one silent killer or something like that. I don't know, which was really cool. I think that's what it was called. I could be wrong. I might be completely wrong, <laughs> but now I'm going to end up looking it up. Cause I'm, I, I have like the, I have like the whole set. I have like the whole, I have like the whole run of it, but I'm gonna have to look it up. Really? Um, all right. So my next one of the night, I've talked heavily about my fan, my fandom of the movie, but the comic was really phenomenal. And that's Captain America winter soldier. Oh, nice. uh, the, they had to make some adaptation from page to screen for sure, but they followed it really, really faithfully in my opinion and handled it really well. Um, one of the biggest departures, if you decide you want to read that specific story, cause you want to see how the comics played out or cause they go into a little bit more of the Bucky backstory, um, than they did in the movie. Um, but, and the, and the return of Bucky and Bucky's actual death and all that stuff. The, the biggest departure in my opinion was the fact that Sharon Carter or agent 13 was very heavily involved in the story. In the movie, she wasn't. It was almost like in the movie, they replaced Sharon Carter with Black Widow. Um, so when okay. you're reading when you're reading it, you're going to go, oh, that was clearly like that's where Black Widow fits in. Because Black Widow's not in the comic. Um, it's like Captain Sharon Carter doing everything. Mm-hmm. So um, that that was the big takeaway, uh, because later Sharon Carter would become part of the MCU uh, more heavily with Emily Van Camp as they explored that, obviously. But um, yeah, yeah, so. Um, but yeah, Captain America Winter Soldier. I don't have to go too much more into it because it's it's ultimately a big, you know, espionage film, espionage film, espionage story within the Captain America universe. It's the re- return of Bucky. It's the return of, you know, the introduction of Winter Soldier. We all saw the movie, but the comic was really, really cool how it played out prior to actually seeing the movie. So nice. Yeah. I um, The artwork's really one... great. The artwork's really great, too, in my opinion. So awesome. This one I actually haven't read. Um, does it play out pretty similar to the movie or is it? Uh, pretty similar. One of the biggest things is that the movie used this move. The movie used the story to flip the head on all of us with Hydra being shield. Right. That's not, that's not really part of the story because this story is much tighter and focuses more on the return of Bucky because that's the whole point. OK, so they they did they did a two parter with it with the Bucky, but then they also were you know shifting gears. So we got the. Um, so that there wasn't like a potential like genocidal event at the end with like the shield helicarriers shooting down a bunch of. No, it was it was a much more, okay. it was a much more personal story with. Um, it was a focus much more, more on the Bucky story. stuff, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. OK, nice. Um, anyway, um, what's your next one, man? Yeah, so my next one, um, I'm going to go with the. Uh, the Red Hulk storyline from the Hulk comics. Um, and this is one that it's kind of, uh, it's a bit random cause I haven't read like Hulk isn't necessarily one of my go-to guys, but 
a lot of my favorite artists um, were working on the series. And if you can't tell by my list already, I kind of follow a lot of superhero comics based on the artists that I like who work on them. But uh, Ed McGinnis, who also did that Deadpool run that I mentioned earlier, he did a lot of these issues. So did Art Adams, who is one of my favorite artists ever. Like, he's just got such a cool style that's, like, kind of like Ed McGinnis. Like, it's somewhere between manga and, like, classic um Jack Kirby, which is awesome. Um, and then also like Jeff Loeb. I love Jeff Loeb, Loeb as a uh, writer and he re- wrote a ton of this story, but the Red Hulk series, um, I love it because it's one of those things where the Red Hulk shows up and it's this big question, like, who is this new Hulk character, you know, and what is he doing? And he's obviously villainous. And it's one of those things where the Hulk goes up against him. And uh, if I remember it correctly, the Hulk gets kind of subdued by him. Like he kind of gets his butt kicked and uh, you know, if the Hulk can't stand up to him, that leads to pretty much all the other main, like big, super strong Marvel characters have to have their hand at fighting this red Hulk character. So you get like an issue where it's like captain America versus the red Hulk and Thor versus the red Hulk. And it's just a really fun action packed series with just a bunch of like, badass just like brawls going on through the whole thing um one of my favorite parts since i mentioned that uh there's an issue where thor fights the red hulk that's probably the best fight because there's a moment where you know thor and red hulk are fighting each other and they end up taking the fight to space you know similar to the uh end fight scene in man of steel they end up taking the fight to space but the thing is if you're in space and there's no gravity the Red Hulk was actually able to uh, wield Mjolnir in space. And uh, that was just kind of a crazy concept that I didn't really see see coming. But uh, Red Hulk basically just uses Mjolnir, you know, uses Thor's hammer to basically uh, he uses it to hit Thor and have have Thor land on the moon subdued. And then Red Hulk kind of just leaves Thor on the moon and goes back to Earth and keeps wreaking havoc. But uh, no, this is a really fun series. Um, Yeah, I feel like I've gone on and on. I don't know too much else to say, and I don't want to spoil too much, like as far as who the Red Hulk ends up being and stuff like that. But uh, Drew, I don't know if you've read this one or if you have any Uh, thoughts on it. I have not. But just can you give me the title one more time? Because I was kind of focused on listening to you recap it. (laughs) I was like, shoot, what was the title again? No, no, sure thing. Yeah, you can just go with Red Hulk. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was like, wait, what's the <laughs> I'm like yeah. title again? Because I was like, I know he's talking Red Hulk, and this sounds awesome. I just was like, <laughs> I was just focusing on what you're saying. And I need to put it on the spreadsheet. Anyway. Right on. Um, yeah, no, I haven't. And like with the Hulk comics, Hulk to me was always a secondary character. And I yeah. never, um, the one Hulk that I read that I just gushed over was Hulk Gray by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sal. Oh, right. Right. On, uh, yeah. That was, that book was phenomenal, but it was like, he, it's, it's like he like really understood, um, how to tell that the story of that character. Like one of my, like one of my biggest problems with reading Avengers comics, specifically the Avengers is the di- Thor's dialogue is so hard to read. Um, because they, he, like, Thor in the movie talks like a normal human being. And yeah, you get the, you get the, um, uh, some of the Norse stuff through Thor and you just got to follow along. But in the comics, they write it, 
in the same way he's he's heavily uh, using Norse dialect and Viking yeah. dialect and old school. And it's like, I don't know what half of these words mean. And it's just it's such an old way of talking. I'm like, <laughs> why would you write it like that in nowadays time? I just. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and that makes and that and to me it makes Avengers hard to read. I'm like, okay, it's a Thor scene. Here we go, you know. Um, but yeah, so to me, Hulk <laughs> is always a secondary thing, and I never latched onto it um, the way I think they wanted me to. Um, certain it, books it, have, so. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, like the first time you read a comic book where uh, Bizarro shows up, and you're just like, wait, why is he talking backwards? Wait, I don't understand yeah. this at first, and it takes a bit to realize like what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. All right. So moving on. Um, my next one is House of M. Um, I have talked at nauseum about this book. It's one of my favorite story arcs. Everyone should read it. It heavily involves Scarlet Witch and truly shows how powerful she really is. By the way, the Doctor Strange movie really shows some Scarlet Witch, like how powerful this chick really is. Nice. If anyone had any doubts as to whether or not she could have taken down Thanos. She really well, and she has this moment. It's small. I'm going to spoil this real quick because we're talking about Scarlet Witch anyway. I always have this thing where if Scarlet Witch wanted to say during Endgame, she could have just said no more Thanos and the whole thing would have been over. But she didn't understand the extent of her powers at that point in the story, right? Yeah. There's a point in this movie where Scarlet Witch has to face off against an incredibly powerful being. And if you know your Marvel comics, you know that... You're just like, okay, here we go. And in my opinion, it was one of those Indiana Jones moments where the guy's swinging the big sword and he pulls out the gun and shoots. And Scarlet Witch goes, well, what do you mean kind of comment? He says, what? And then I don't want to say what she says, but the line of dialogue, you're just like, that was the no more Thanos moment. You know what I mean? Like, that's exactly what that was right there. And that's, you know, that's incredibly powerful of her as a character. Like, it's insane um, to see how strong she really is. So, um, but this book, House of M, truly speaks to how powerful she is as a character, how compelling she is as a character. Um, and I get to talk Scarlet Witch all, all day because she's, she is, when I read House of M, she very quickly became one of my favorite characters. And as we see where they take her in the movies, she totally is, alt of all time, probably one of my absolute favorite Marvel characters. So House of M is the one story arc that I'll highly recommend everybody read. It's so good. Anyway. Nice. Um, yeah, go ahead, man. What's your last pick of the night? <laughs> yeah, so I didn't necessarily mean for this to end up being my last pick, but I think it seems pretty fitting because uh, I went with uh, Deadpool kills the Marvel Universe. <laughs> <laughs> so this this is more of a I don't know if it's an official what if um, story arc, but it's more along the lines of a what if sort of situation where it's an alternate timeline you know that these events take place on but essentially what this story is about is we all know venom breaks the fourth wall and uh this story is essentially venom or i'm did i say venom deadpool breaks the fourth wall and this is essentially deadpool realizing that him and all these other superhero characters that he knows are all inside of a comic book like he realizes wait we're in a comic book right now and he realizes realizes that the writers of this comic book are essentially putting all these characters through hell, you know, like putting, you know, putting these characters, lo- loved ones at risk and, uh, you know, just really making their lives difficult. So Deadpool's idea is 
I'm going to take everyone out of their misery. <laughs> then he goes around and he basically just kills every major Marvel character. And it's a super creative premise. It's really, it's really funny. Um, and it's a great read. And this is one of those, I think it's a pretty, as far as Deadpool goes, it's probably the essential Deadpool read. Cause I don't think there's a lot of Deadpool arcs that you could call, essential marvel if you will but i think this one's definitely up there but also like if you want to start reading deadpool comics this is a pretty good place to start the only thing is it would be best to be decently familiar with the marvel universe as a whole you know because you're going to run into certain characters and if you don't know anything about taskmaster for example you might get lost at the part where Deadpool fights Taskmaster. But if you know the Marvel Universe pretty well, like this is definitely like an awesome story to uh, jump into. So I don't really have too much to say besides that. I don't know if you've read this one at all, Drew, I have but not. Uh, this is this really is, fun. This is one of the ones um, in the in my trying to catch back up with Marvel and using the Marvel uh, Unlimited app. Uh, this is actually one that's in my queue because you can oh, nice. set your queue for what are you going to read next? What are you going to read next? Um, but I'm actually, uh, my Deadpool right now is some old school Deadpool. Cause I'm actually like, I have like 10 books going at once. So like every time I open the <laughs> app, every time I open the app, I read like an issue or two from a book and then yeah. I jump to the next book and read an issue or two and that kind of thing. So, um, because that's how comics are meant to be read. You don't just sit and read straight through a whole run. It doesn't, that's not how it happens. That's sometimes. true. Sometimes, yeah. you gotta, sometimes you have to bounce around. So like. I have a handful of books going at once, but one of them is uh, X-Force. Um, so like, oh, right. the, like the original introduction of Deadpool and stuff like that. And it's just been a lot of fun. So this specific run is in my queue to kind of cruise along with. So nice. Yeah. Anyway, uh, my last pick for the night, as I've talked about this before, and this is, in my opinion, one of my fa- this goes back to my childhood, too, and like original reading stuff. Actually, this goes back to uh, junior high, early high school. Um, but that is Spider-Man Maximum Carnage. Um, oh, this is what everybody wanted wants in terms of movies. When we found out they were doing Venom, when we found out they were doing Carnage, we're like, no, 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 no. It's got to be Maximum Carnage. It's the only way you do it. Um, that'd be a massive movie because you're talking Spider-Man, Black Cat, uh, Morbius, Venom, Carnage, Hobgoblin, uh, Demogoblin, um, the Fantastic Four, Venom, Carnage. Like, all, like it's just there's so much. <laughs> Um, absolutely but it but it gets so it uh deathlock and doppelganger and like, <laughs> it's like as i keep thinking of more characters oh, Domino, man, doppelganger dominoes in it i believe like there's a lot um i think it's domino no it's shrike um not domino i got shrike and domino like flip-flop there for a second but mm-hmm. it makes me excited like that we're getting closer to be doing something this big um but this is just a, out off the wall just bonkers carnage is wreaking havoc and he's building a team of guys to follow him around and just do the same stuff and then spider-man basically has to build a team of heroes to follow him around and it's heroes versus villains here we go in the most nice ridiculous bonkers way possible and um yeah it's just great great superhero fun it's one of the best in my opinion story arcs i actually i have the trade which i've read through a few times but i have every issue um, of the entire run bagged and board it's in my collection it's great um but yeah that's that's it for my list i don't know if you read maximum carnage or not but 
I, th- I think I've read like issues, but I don't think I've sat down and read the whole thing all the way through, but it sounds like such a blast and I need to read through it. Um, I was kind yeah. of laughing because uh, your description and you're, t- you're talking about all these different characters that are in there. It reminded me of this episode of uh, comic book men when uh, I remember Kevin Smith talking about when uh, he first encountered like the hobgoblin in Spider-Man comics and uh Walt Flanagan on that episode, I remember him talking about how he felt that the Hobgoblin was just a cheap ripoff of the Green Goblin. <laughs> Kevin yeah. Smith being like, no, I loved when Hobgoblin showed up. I was like, man, I don't want any other Spider-Man villains, just goblins moving forward. Green, <laughs> Hob, Nob, I don't care. I just want, <laughs> want more goblins. And it was pretty great. So, yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Well, what are we doing? It's your pick next week. So what are we doing, man? Yeah. So um, if you haven't noticed in our parts, the uh, weather is getting pretty nice. Uh, It's getting pretty warm. Some days like today was actually kind of brutally hot, to be honest, but that's really exciting. And uh, yeah, you don't have to walk around wearing a police uniform in this heat. Let me tell you. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, I don't. Um, but, but when it's warm outside, I do like thinking about aquatic activities and boating and stuff. And, uh, then my imagination starts taking over and I start thinking about things like pirates and stuff like that. So I thought next week it'd be fun to do our top five pirates from pop culture. Um, and then also, of course, there's the Johnny Depp, Amber Heard craziness, which might've led some inspiration there too. But, uh, no, I think this would be a fun pick because, there's some movie pirates that we all know and love, you know, Treasure Island, Pirates of the Caribbean, but there's also comic books and video games, and you really could pull pull some crazy characters from all over the place. So I thought this would be a fun uh, list to go through. Are space pirates allowed? I would say so. So I was thinking the only thing... I guess if you want to do like intellectual property pirates, too, you could do that. But I'm probably going to do like more your traditional swashbuckling pirates for my list. But yeah, space space pirates would probably be definitely be a cool twist to go with. I just I was laughing just because I'm like, crap, like that would throw in like Han Solo and stuff. Like, you know yeah, I mean? good call. So um, <laughs> you, you don't want to like completely derail with that. Um, but no, that's awesome. That sounds great because I'm a big I love the pirate genre so absolutely um all right um well everybody do us all a favor and check out our website top5report.com there you'll find links to all of our social media twitter and facebook along with a link to our email top5report at gmail.com you can interact with the show there hit us up on our social hit us up on our social media either way works um we are on google play iHeartRadio, stitcher apple podcasts uh you can subscribe to us in those places um and if you do, you will not miss a single episode. Uh, you can also leave us a review. We love those five stars, but we understand criticism because it helps us get better and it makes the words we say feel important. You can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Uh, Peter, what about you? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre, And that's where I'll be telling you why my common sense is tingling. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I don't mean to hear that. I don't need my spider sense because I have common sense. Absolutely. All right, right, everybody, for the top five report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Mm